I'd want to know how he gets those abs. Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian McCord. There are some things on this planet that cannot be explained. The Nazca Lines, UFOs, people who watch Star Trek, the Loch Ness Monster, Radio Shack asking for your phone number when you buy batteries, Kanye West hanging out with Donald Trump, individual awards in a team sport, and now we can add another to the list. Why the hell would anybody pay 60 million for a Brazilian when you can get a back sack and crack for much less? Here to talk about all of that and more is Fabian Gorsler. Hey. Fab, of course, a semi-important member of the One Football Newsroom team. And joining him and helping to continue our unofficial alliance with Deutsche Welle, it's Nick McKenna-Klein. Hello. Before we get started, gentlemen, some parish notices. If you've been up all night wondering and worrying about what to get this podcast crew for Christmas, relax, we got you. We don't want money. We don't want no fancy handbags. We don't want dancing fountains out the back garden, although that would be kind of cool. And we don't want one of those $8,000 Louis Vuitton skateboards. Yes, they do exist. All we want this Christmas is for you to go to iTunes, give us a rating and leave a comment to go with the rating. And for those of you who have already done so and helped us make the charts in Malaysia and Nigeria, thank you very, very much. We really do appreciate it. Malaysia and Nigeria, that's pretty cool. That is very cool. And um, back to the Christmas presents, I actually wouldn't mind one of those skateboards. Have you seen them? I have not, but I can only imagine that they're super nice. They... (laughs) <laughs> have this sort of faux 1980s New York graffiti written underneath them. I did some research for it, right? Uh-huh. So they have this faux 1980s graffiti written underneath them that says like Louis Vuitton or something. And then they come in this very long, rectangular, exorbitant and very expensive looking Louis Vuitton case. That's perfect. I would buy it just for the case. I would pay $8,000 just for the case. And you'd walk around with it empty without a no, I would just, put, just just for like a fashion statement. Look at my look at my bag. Well, no, I would put the case on a coffee table in my apartment, and then uh, <laughs> nobody would ever see it because I never have friends over. <laughs> what about the dancing fountains at the back garden? Hey, <laughs> well, you can buy dancing fountains. You know, like the stuff that they have. Um, I don't know at Disneyland or, or like, like Las that. Vegas or like, like Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You mean like where you run through them and get hit by by sprouts by things of water? No, no, no. The ones that like kind of choreograph and do dancing and all that sort of stuff. Haven't you seen these? It's before? like a show with oh, light, the LED lights and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Would I want one? Yeah, for Christmas. Sure, listeners, I'd love one for Christmas. <laughs> I think they cost about I don't know a hundred grand or something like that. Okay, then lots of listeners. <laughs> <laughs> now Monday saw the draw for the round of sixteen in the Champions League. In case you missed it or have forgotten it since then, here it is in full. Man City against Monaco, Real Madrid against Napoli, Benfica against Dortmund, Munich against Arsenal, Porto against Juventus, Leverkusen against Atletico, PSG against Barcelona, Sevilla against Leicester City. So that is the draw. Fab, what, what do you reckon you're most excited about for this one? I am most excited for several games, actually. Okay. If I can pick several yeah, games. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. You've, Madrid, got the, you've got the mic. Go okay. for it. Okay. Madrid, Napoli, Leverkusen, Atletico, and Manchester City against Monaco. Those are my top three teams. Wait, or, Leverkusen against Atletico? Yes. It went to penalties last year. Okay. And um, I did not expect you to pick that one. Well, and I, I do think that um, they've. I think they've met two times in the last three seasons in the Champions League. And it's always been very, very tight. And I enjoy watching these these tight games that could go to penalties because that's what extra time of penalties are for. Um, I don't want to see, uh, you know, a 2 3 nil thrashing over two legs. Mm-hmm. Um, and Leverkusen arguably has a better squad than last year. I know they've underperformed in the Bundesliga, but uh, it looks like they're doing quite well in the Champions League. So I do think they could give Atleti some trouble. Well, I was going to say, I was yeah. gonna say this is going to be an exciting, definitely going to be an exciting match, just because both sides are very well organised. And you're, you're right; the last time they played, it was two one 0 wins for both sides, and Atletico went through on penalties. Um, and I mean, I think that Atletico is going to win. To be honest, because I, th- I think they're, they're going to prioritise to win the Champions League. They're twelve points behind Real in the league, um, and Simeone wants to win. It looks like it's his last season in Madrid, and I think mm. he wants to to leave with a bang. And the one way to do that is win the Champions League. So Leverkusen, you're right. The, the squad has improved and they have been pretty weak in the in the Bundesliga considering, but I don't see them getting past Atletico. What was the other games you picked out, Fab? Uh, City against Monaco and um, Madrid against Napoli. Did you care to elaborate on either of those fixtures? Well, City against Monaco, I think, um, 
you know, Pep will be under a lot of pressure to perform in the Champions League after, you know, not performing with Bayern Munich. And now I think he was brought in by City to get them further in the Champions League as well. I mean, any manager could win the Premier League with City's money, but not every manager can win the Champions League. And Pep is an elite manager. So I think they are the bigger team and there's more pressure on them in this tie. But Monaco have been very, very good Mm. in France this year. And I think they have scored or they have the highest percentage of converted chances to goals since 2006-2007. Even better than those great Barcelona sides. Wow. Um, Yeah. um, You've done some research. I have done some research. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I don't come here, you know, without any uh, (laughs) stats in my head. Uh, (laughs) And um, I do think that Monaco will give them a lot of trouble. Monaco have been really, uh, like you said, they've been banging in the goals. Yeah. I think they put seven over the last two games, their last two cup games, I think it was. But uh, given City's defensive troubles, and we're going to talk to uh, we're going to talk to Dan Burke from uh, City Watch later about this. Um, it should be interesting just to see how they attack how they attack City and whether Guardiola is able to sort out that that City defense. Exactly. I mean, he has that. time now. He's got time until until the new year, mm-hmm. but. It hasn't been great with uh, with John Stones and whoever his partner's been in the last. Yeah. Uh, actually, it's it changed in the beginning of the season, um, but yeah, I think I think Monaco does have a really good chance to knock City out, and uh, that would just make things much worse for Pep, especially in the English media. I mean, but surely, I mean, <clears throat> you said that Pep's got time, but he does. There's been lots of time until the game start, but you've got the whole winter schedule uh, where other leagues have have a break let's say like the Bundesliga I mean, I mean Monaco are also in a somewhat easier league in my eyes right I mean they scored 53 goals so far this season which is the best in Europe but I've, I find it difficult with this particular match because I think you're right City are good but I've got a gut feeling that Monaco could probably just, just beat them oh wow yeah. I w- I mean, this is one of the games where I couldn't decide but I've just decided I'm going for Monaco I think I think so too I think there's a big uh, great possibility that it will happen um it might be tight, or it might just be Monaco beating them in both legs even. That's also possible. And your third one was Real Madrid against Napoli. Yeah, so uh, I think a lot of people don't really see how good Napoli really is. They've played a really good campaign so far domestically. They've played a good Champions League campaign as well. Finishing first, obviously. Madrid finished second behind Dortmund. Uh, Madrid are unbeaten so far domestically, but I think Napoli, out of... The teams they could have drawn poses one of the biggest threats, I think. I think it's interesting that you mentioned that um, Napoli are sort of underrated. There's not a huge amount of Italian football on TV, especially not here in, in Germany, where there's, fair to say, there's very little interest in Italian football. None at all. None at all. And it, it allows them to sort of fly under the radar a bit. And I don't think it'll, there'll be any surprises for Madrid, but there could be surprises for for other people who don't necessarily see them. Right, That's and it, it kind of, when people keep underrating you and, and dismiss you as a team or as a threat, you know, the, the players notice and it mm. pisses them off and it, it motivates them as well. So I think they will be extra motivated against Madrid. Nick, um, how will Bayern be feeling about uh, playing Arsenal? It's interesting, really. This is the, will be the seventh and eighth time they've met in the last five years that this matchup just keeps happening um, <clears throat> I felt I felt bad for Arsenal to be honest with you I to, know. For, for starters I mean they finally finished top of their group and who do they get Bayern Munich yeah um, it couldn't have gone any worse well well, they could have had Barca. Paris no they Barca. could have had Barca oh, could have, that's why they could have they, see they could have had Barca it could have been worse <laughs> yeah but it's just considering that they, they, they never finished first and, and it just happened to, to end this way it was a bit bit uh, difficult but I mean a couple of years ago, back in 2013, sorry, um, Bayern won 3-1 in London and then Arsenal won 2-0 in Munich and that was pretty close. It was, I mean, away goal rule. Um, then the following year, Bayern won again in London, but Arsenal only managed to draw. And then the following year, uh, 2015, in the group stage, um, Arsenal won 2-0 and all of a sudden people thought they might finish off the group and then they went to Munich and got club at 5-0, or 5-1 even. Um Bayern have been going through a bit of a rough patch. I mean, we've discussed this often enough the last couple of weeks. Um, they seem to have finally turned a corner. Uh, it does seem like it's clicking a bit more now. Yeah, but that's also because they've changed formation. I mean, Ancelotti was usually a 4-3-3 um, yeah. kind of manager. He needs to move back to Pep's uh, 4-2-3-1, which the players obviously can play 
very, very well. So it's mm-hmm. working out quite well for them at the moment. What's going to do them good, though, is the mid-season break. Uh, there's two more Bundesliga games left. There's this weekend and next Wednesday and Tuesday. And then they're off for four odd weeks, I think. So they have time to relax. They'll have time to get back together and talk to each other when we go, go to a training. Um, what's it called? Training War, camp. Training, training. That's <laughs> training camp. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. Um, and uh, they'll be able to f- figure out some sort of synergy between Guardiola's bus, um, Bayern and uh, Ancelotti's future Bayern. Four, four weeks is a huge amount of time. That's almost like a pre-season yeah. during the season to rework on formations, rework on tactics, and then come back totally fresh. I think the good thing for the players as well is that they, I mean, they, they finish next Wednesday, it's Christmas on Sunday, and they don't get back until the first, I think the second or third of January. So they've got a good 10 days off. That's incredible. To, because English players famously train on Christmas Day yeah. and have shitloads of games during Christmas and don't get to, don't get to rest at all. Uh, we, it was, it's interesting enough, we were talking, um, we just did an interview with Adrian Ramos for, for DW. And oh, yeah. He says he goes back to Colombia for Christmas. And I mean, there's enough time for him to fly back to Colombia to spend time with his family and then come back to, to Dortmund or wherever the, the training camp is in January. Yeah. It's, that's how long the break is. And it does, does the players a great deal of good and I think that's going to help Bayern uh, going to this Champions League game it's um, I think my gut feeling says that Bayern would win it but my heart kind of wants Arsenal to win it not as, a, not as an Arsenal fan but just because I think they finally deserve it after so many years What about um, Dortmund they'll be happy enough with Benfica I think uh, absolutely. It's funny enough, I was, when I was doing the research for this, apparently, according to Dortmund fans... This, you did research as well. I did research as well. I this did. is getting worrying. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, they played the last time in 1963, and it was called the Game of the Century. I couldn't quite figure out why. It's just because Dortmund won 5-0 at home. It was just a big thing to win. Anything with lots again, of goals. Well, lots of goals, but it was also Benfica was a decent team back in the 60s. It was, yes. Uh, yeah. right. So I, mean, I think it was justified to call it the Game of the Century, but I hadn't actually realised this, this existed. Um, did you watch any highlights of it or no, no. okay did, did, did they right. even have television cameras back then yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, Benfica were knocked out by Bayern last season so they, they, they know what it's like to play a German team in the knockout stages um, but they haven't won any of their games the last four games against the German side so they're coming into this you know as the underdogs um, Dortmund were in Lisbon with the group stages so they've also played against Portuguese side already this season and They've won seven of their last uh, ten games against Portuguese sides. I think they're definitely going to go through. It's going to be tough, but it's still, I th- I've got Dortmund going through. The, the contrast between their domestic performances and what they do in Europe, too, is astounding because they've been brilliant in Europe. Well, what happens is they play well in Europe, and then the following match in the Bundesliga, they're generally really, really bad. <laughs> right. uh, they played well against Madrid at home, and then the following game, I think they either lost or it was a weird draw against a small team. Um, Did they lose to Ingolstadt or something like that? Oh, I can't remember what it was. They definitely lost after last, or they drew last week. don't have it in mind anymore, but it was definitely, you, they have these great games in Europe, or especially after Warsaw, for example, that 8-4 win against Warsaw, and they lost that the next game against Leverkusen, was it, or something? And that's why Thomas Tuchel flipped out and just said, our, 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 team's, um, our team's not doing well. I want them to, to have the, the same amount of quality throughout the whole week, and just it's just not happening for them. They can't find consistency. Yeah, I mean, it's that European hangover, and um, at some point they're going to have to decide what their priority is, and I think it will be Europe, um, which means they will be more focused on Benfica than on the domestic campaign. Uh, They do have that break, which might help as well uh, domestically, but um, I think they'll just be going for the Champions League spots now. They're not obviously not going to be challenging for the title. Mm -hmm. You know, fourth, third, second maybe. Uh, would would be good for them and then um, maybe another great Champions League run under Tuchel this time Fab they're all big teams but if you had to pick one really big team who you thought is is in danger of not making it through to the next round who would you go for? Barcelona oof yeah they're playing don't give me that they're only playing who are they playing? PSG. Uh, yeah. This is the, the PSG that, that won the league by 35 points last year. In you know. France. Yeah, but still, you've still got to win by 35 points. But this is also PSG who are four points behind, was it Nice at the moment? Nice, yeah. Yeah, okay, fair point. But <laughs> <laughs> No, but I, I do think that um, Cavani's been on fire. And um, I think if you had to pick one of the really big teams, I mean, this is one of the really big teams playing another really big team. So I think it would have to be Barcelona. We had a pointless conversation in the office before I came over here, if you, <laughs> which we'll continue here for just a second. If you had to pay 100 million for one player, 
Cavani or Pogba, who would you go for? Andre, who is often on the podcast with us, went for Cavani. And I was like, what the hell are you doing? Why would you pay 100 million for Cavani? I would definitely play 100 million for Pogba. Cavani, not a hope in hell. I'd buy Pogba, absolutely. I mean, he's young as well. You've got He's young, he's got a lot more potential. Cavani, for me, is not overrated, but... I mean, he was great at Napoli, but for me, he misses too many chances at PSG. Yeah. I mean, considering the, considering the team he has around him, and yes. he should convert more chances, the more chances he has, but definitely Pogba, just because you've got so much potential going looking ahead and you can you know, form a team around him. Yeah. I mean, you know that as a United fan, you can see where the future is going. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, Cavani is a great, great player, and it's, you know, testament to his, his movement his timing, that he even gets into so many positions to score. I think he creates many more chances than other strikers. Um, but it's his finishing that lets him down. Uh, if he had a average you know, finishing rate, he would be scoring many more goals just because of how many chances he creates. And just because of that, I would spend $100 million on, on Pogba instead. Pointless conversation, of course. <laughs> Never going to have hundred million. Um, as Nick mentions, Fab, you are of a, a Manchester United persuasion. Yep. They drew Sanatien in not the group, of course, but the uh, the team um, in the Europa League. You're happy enough with that one? Yeah, I think they've uh, avoided some of the better teams they could have drawn. Uh, it's not the worst team they could have drawn, or the the easiest, I should say. Although. You know, it's never easy playing on a Thursday and then having to play on the weekend again. Mm -hmm. um, well, the second leg will actually be played on a Wednesday. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's playing the second. Uh, they will play it on a Wednesday, which gives United an extra day to recover for what could be the Manchester Derby or the League Cup final. Should they beat Hull in the semi-finals? It'll probably be the League Cup final. Then. <laughs> um, no, I, I think I think it's a it's a decent team to play. Uh, it really depends on how much Mourinho values the Europa League. And how deep of a run he wants to make, um, but it does also give Paul Pogba a chance to play possibly against his brother. Mm -hmm. So that will be, you know, like a nice, uh, I guess, social media moment for the Pogba family. <laughs> um, and and you know, nice, nice for the fans as well to see the two brothers go up against each other. My uh, Mikael Youngsma, who often joins us on this podcast as well, was watching. I saw that he tweeted the other day. He was watching San Etienne, and he said United went for the wrong Pogba brother. I hope I've quoted him right on that. If not, he can <laughs> he can get back to me and tell me I'm wrong. I mean, I think Woodward has plenty of money. If he wanted a second Pogba, it wouldn't be a problem in the winter or the summer transfer window. How far do you think Mourinho wants to go in this competition? I think it depends on how the festive period goes. I think if we, or if United starts looking like they are, you know, not challenging for the title, but you know, challenging for third or second. I want to say, um, although I still believe we can win the title. Uh, <laughs> um, if if it starts looking like that, then Europa League will take more of a back seat, obviously. But if it does look like another season where Champions League is going to be a grasp, um, then he might try and win the Europa League just to please the fans because you know they had just won or seen their team won. Uh, win the FA Cup first taste of silverware since Sir Alex Ferguson left, the Europa League would be a nice addition to that as well if we weren't going to finish second or third. Yeah, of course, the Europa League is uh, Champions League qualification. And that so, as well. So mm. that's probably... A nice carrot at the end of a very long stick is what yeah. I would say. Nick, what about the German <coughs> side? Gladbach play Fiorentina and Schalke have drawn Pauk. Gladbach, Fiorentina. Now that's an interesting one because Gladbach, they had it. They didn't have it easy. They were in the Champions League with Barcelona and City mm -hmm. and Celtic, but that wasn't. There was never any chance of them getting further in the Champions League. And this is probably the best thing which could happen to them by still being in Europe come the new year. But there are so many problems at that club at the moment. Just they're, they're in a really awful form in the Bundesliga. Their coach is under, is under fire. Um, <clears throat> and I think that this is really the end of the line for Gladbach. Uh, they'll play their two games in Florence and what better way to end a European campaign than in Italy in the spring um, sort of it's 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 been it's been a tough season for them but I see Fiorentina going through Schalke Parks Saloniki is definitely Schalke and Parks also in, in, having an awful season in Greece 
Uh, Schalke have managed to turn things around after losing the first five games of the season uh, and things are starting to take shape under their new coach, Marcus Weinstein, and the new manager, Christian Heider. Um, definitely moving forward. So I think they can actually... Schalke, one of, one of my um, secret favourites to win the Europa League, if, if, you know, if United don't. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> also coming out on Monday was the announcement of the Ballon d'Or with Cristiano Ronaldo coming out on top. He and Leo Messi have now shared the spoils for the last nine years. Of course, it is an individual award in a team sport. That seems a little bit silly to me that you do that, but because I have a real bee in my bonnet over it. Um, shall, I, shall I get my rant out of the way and then you two can sort of chime in? Go ahead. Right. Go ahead. Firstly, look at the stats they used to justify it. Every single report I read about this just quoted goal stats at me as if they were the word of God. You know, 42 games, 38 goals, 14 assists, directly involved in 39 league goals, 30 games, 31 scored, 9 assists. That's one thing I get annoyed about. Secondly, why are defenders and midfielders not promoted more? Why do we just go for the headline grabbers? In the top 20, there were five players that were not attackers. Modric, Kroos, Buffon, Pepe, Rui, Patricio. So 75% of the top 20 was taken up by strikers and attackers. Thirdly, if we are going to go with this, maybe circumstances need to be considered more. Being a star striker for Real Madrid when you don't have to bother your arse about defending and have world-class midfielders setting you up, it's a lot easier than, say, what Jamie Vardy did or what Antoine Griezmann had to do. That's my two cents, my rant about it. Does anybody else feel as strongly about this award? I... I completely disagree with you what i think that um well first of all it's an individual award in a team sport yes but a team is made up of individuals and certain individuals are better than other individuals therefore i feel like they should be recognized for how much better they are secondly but they can only be they can only be better because they've got those other players with them yeah, but I think you put, you know, Ronaldo's shown at United and at Madrid that he's the best player in both teams. You put Messi in any other team in the world, he'll be the best player. Yes, other players helped free him up, but he's still Messi. He's still Ronaldo. He's still Bale. He's still Griezmann. You know, they're, they're still going to be miles, miles better than the other players and have more an effect on the game than the other players, regardless of who's their team, who their teammates are. Um, and then to the second point, about the defenders, I think we're as much in a golden age of attacking as we are in whatever the opposite of a golden age is for defenders. You look you look at the defenders nowadays and, you know, can you even say that Thiago Silva is a great defender? He plays in the French League. He kind of has disappeared. You've got maybe Boateng, Ramos maybe, uh, and... You know, you know, not many, not many great defenders. You look back at like past generations, and you had a lot of great defenders, and that was reflected in the Ballon d'Or voting, where more of them were in the top ten, top twenty, top twenty-five, whatever. Um, but then you look at like the attackers, and I mean, back in the day, if a striker was scoring, you know, a goal every two games, that was a great goal scorer. Now, a great goal scorer is somebody who scores a goal a game, like Messi, like Ronaldo. So I think the attackers are so good, the defenders are so bad, which then also amplifies how good the attackers are because they score more goals against these worst defenders uh, in today's game. And that's why the award is dominated by attacking players. I've got a cultural idea about this as well. I think that possibly how people watch football now is basically they just highlight their goals. And that people don't have a, have enough of an attention span to be able to watch a full game. I mean, I know it myself. Often when I'm watching a game, I'll s- switch to Twitter and see what people are saying about the game, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't know if people are, you know, to appreciate a great midfielder or to appreciate a great defender, you need to watch the game a lot more. To appreciate a great attacker, you've just got to watch, you know, a couple of minutes of highlights and you can see their goals. <clears throat> My problem with it is that it's become more of a popularity contest somehow. I just, I think that they're they're voted in because of their names Ronaldo and Messi and that's that's just I mean the whole system works with what's it, magazines around the world voting for their favorite players and all the headlines people, Ronaldo and Messi are always getting the headlines because they're always the goal scorers they're always the winners they're always the match winners they're the ones who make the difference when it comes to getting the points for the team 
Um, you might be right with the defenders not no longer being as good as they are. I mean, the last the last defenders to win it was Fabio Cannavaro in 20, 2006. Um, that's quite a quite well, a while away. It is a while ago. It's, yeah. Um, it's I don't know. I find it difficult. I don't mind individual awards in a team sport. I mean, you've got them in every single sport you have, and it, it just doesn't seem quite. If, if you look at the NBA, for example, like when Kevin Durant or LeBron James or probably Russell Westbrook this year wins the MVP, it's it's not because, Steph. Well, I don't think so. Not this year, but oh. I, I think that I think that it's somehow different. There, I, I, I appreciate that they've won it because of what they've actually achieved and how they've supported their team. Whereas when it comes to Ronaldo, especially, I find it's his team supporting him and him being a well and and you know taking care of his ego up front. Because if if, it's, if nobody passes the ball to him, he gets upset. And I think to myself, well, you never do anything for the team anyway. Why should they pass you the ball in certain situations? Um, so I find it difficult. I do find it difficult, but. I don't know. In my eyes, I think eventually we need to maybe change the way this is done. On a on a interesting note, uh, Jamie Vardy was voted best player by I think the magazine magazine in Vanuatu. Yeah. So um, fair play, yeah. Vanuatu. We've got I've got got their <laughs> shit right, is what I would say. The I've never seen Ronaldo so happy as to when he was holding that award. The guy had a smile as as wide as the Thames. It was incredible. I don't know. I think he was pretty happy when he won his. Champions League trophy with his second one with Madrid. The European Championship. And that as well. <laughs> I mean... I genuinely think he looked happier because it was an individual award. I think if you asked Ronaldo, if you had him, if if he was sitting here right next to me, you know, mm-hmm. we're just chilling yeah. uh, on the couch. Um, if you asked him, you know, no cameras, no reporters off the record, what would you rather win, Ballon d'Or or Champions League? He would say Champions League. I'd want to know how he gets those abs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what podcast with training session with 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 Ronaldo? Show us how you tell us how you do tell tell our listeners how you do your how uh, you get that washboard stomach. Yep. That's what I want to know. <laughs> was he the uh he was the deserving winner, does everybody think? Yeah. Even if we don't agree with the award, or at least I don't agree with the award. Well, as he won the Champions League and won the uh the Euros this year, yes. I mean had had let's say if Atletico had won the Champions League and uh France had won the Euros, then I would have then I think Griezmann should have won it. I think it has a, that has a huge factor on who, you know who wins the award. And granted, I think he he deserved to win it also just because of this, what was it the last sixty minutes of the European Cup uh, the Euro twenty sixteen final against France when he was the, essentially the coach. Oh, um, yeah. So I think you know he deserved it. This year he did deserve it, but the last couple of years I th- just thought it's the same regurgitated stuff. Right, but I mean, you said Messi and Ronaldo have shared the last nine. Is Messi really like if okay if you? Took away two of Ronaldo's and gave them to Messi. Is Messi really like six to two better than or six to seven to two better than Ronaldo? No, he's not. They're both the best players in the world. There's not that huge of a gap. That's why I don't understand why people are always saying like, oh, you know, Ronaldo shouldn't have won it. Well, then Messi would have won it, but Messi's not seven Ballon d'Ors better than Ronaldo, in my opinion. But are they really the best players in the world? I mean, are they not, or are they only that good because of the players they have around them? That's and that's what that's what I think needs to be figured out in this whole thing. Is 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 whether that's or not my problem? Yeah. yeah, is whether or not. Let's say, for example, Gareth Bale was pretty damn good this year. Yeah, uh, and he only finished sixth. Um, Jamie Vardy, seriously? Well, or Jamie Vardy? Jamie Vardy. Well, considering, considering the team he has around him, and considering it's Leicester, I mean, that, I think I think that has to be somehow calculated into this whole thing. Yeah. That's what that's what I meant with like, the NBA and stuff. It, it somehow seems to me it's more different. It's more equal and more really for what you have done for your team well, by being such a good player well, in the nba the nba is or basketball is not really a team sport i mean you can win you can you can win the championship you can win the nba championship with one star player like lebron did like lebron did yeah um so anyway that's basketball we're talking football <laughs> um but you know put put like a ronaldo when he you know when he could still run like when he was like three four years younger Put him in that Leicester team, the way they played, he would have done better than Vardy. He's better than Vardy. He's a better player than Vardy. So if you put him in that system, you put him in last year's Leicester team, he would have been better than Vardy. Download One Football, the most comprehensive football app in the world. So last weekend saw one of the shock results of the Premier League season as a struggling Leicester City put a 4 2 beatdown on Manchester City. Here to talk about that and more is Dan Burke from Typical City. Dan, has the has the win over Watford helped you get over the shock of that defeat yet, or or did it come as a shock to you at all? Uh, yeah, it has a little bit. I think it's taken the pressure off a little bit. I mean, I mean, City weren't great against Watford at all, really. Um, they got the win that they needed um, to sort of bounce back from that Leicester defeat. It gives us a little bit of confidence going into the big game against Arsenal at the weekend, and then the 
possibly even bigger game against Liverpool on Boxing Day. So um, there was uh, there was a few issues during the Watford game. Um, there was a point when uh, Odion Agallo had a great chance to equalise for them, and if that had gone in, um, I think he probably would have taken that chance last season. If that had gone in, it would have been another draw at home um, at the Etihad this season that wouldn't have been welcome at all. But it feels like we're you know we're sort of slightly back on track now, and. Uh, and Hopefully they can build on the performance of the weekend. Yeah, of course, the big news from last night was the injury to Ilkay Gundogan, who Pep Guardiola said was going to be out for a long time. Uh, for those who missed it, could you describe what happened and tell us how big a loss he's going to be? Uh, yeah, I mean, it looks pretty innocuous, really. Um, he went down at one point. Um, obviously, he's had problems with his knees in the past and his back in the past, I think. So he's, he's been a little bit of a worry, but he, he hasn't had any injuries for us so far. And then he, he went off the pitch, he came back on. Um, played on for a little while longer and then went off and apparently it's um, it's going to be ligament damage it could be up to uh, three or four months um, with him on the sidelines now apparently so that's that is a real big blow um, we do have midfield options but he's been a good player for us this season Gundogan he gives us something a little bit different in the middle of the park a little bit of guile and creativity um, that, that people like Fernando don't really have so um, it is going to be a blow um, I, I, it'll be interesting to see how, how Pep um, juggles his squad from going forward we don't have Fernandinho for another game against Arsenal at the weekend so um, it'll probably be Fernando in there but we do have a few youngsters uh, coming through there's a young lad called Alex Garcia who's quite similar to Gundogan actually um, so so it could be an opportunity for him to get a chance now but um, but yeah it's really sad to see um, I'm, I'm disappointed for him because uh, it looked like he was getting over those injury problems finally Could it scupper any potential title bits? Uh, quite possibly, yeah. Um, I mean, I think a lot of uh, a lot of City fans are already perhaps resigned to the fact that we won't win the title this season. Um, it's still early days, obviously, but it's not looking too great. Um, losing a player like Gundogan is going to have an impact on that. Um, as I said, we've got these two huge games coming up, and if we uh, if we don't take maximum points from both of those against Arsenal, Liverpool, um, it's going to look tricky for us in the second half of the season. Um, whether they look to perhaps bring someone in in in, in January, maybe another midfield player. Um, to, to bolster the midfield I don't know but um, but it doesn't look too great for us at the moment unfortunately Yeah one of the reasons it, it hasn't looked too great is the form I mean over the last 10 games City have picked up 15 points from a possible 30 by contrast uh, Chelsea have 30 Ar- Arsenal have 21 Liverpool have 21 and even even Stoke have more they've 18 so it's obvious something is not quite right in the camp can you explain what that might be the obvious starting point seems to be the defence right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the defence was a, the sort of weak point that we identified during the summer. Um, the fullback areas are, are an area that we've not strengthened for several years now. Um, so it, it's very strange that they've sort of neglected that again, given the the limitless pot of money that they have. Um, without Vincent Company, we look we look very vulnerable, and he's a player who's fitness can't be relied upon anymore um, at the start of the season we had players like Alexander Kolarov and Nicholas Otamendi playing quite well in central defence but then they haven't really sort of carried on that form for the, for the whole season they've looked really bad at times um, the nadir of which was probably the, the defeat of Leicester at the weekend when the defence was absolutely atrocious so uh, I think ultimately that probably if we don't win the league this season it probably will be our defence that will have cost us that um, and, and the fact that we've brought Claudio Bravo in um, and he hasn't really done particularly well so far this season as well and um, that's been another huge factor in um, the way we've been recently I mean you, you've been watching Stones and Bravo quite a bit this season do you think the abuse that they've suffered is justified or, or has it been a bit over the top? I, I personally think it's a little bit over the top but I can see why people have been critical of them um, John Stones is one I mean he's a young lad but he costs £50 million so there's going to be an awful lot of pressure on his shoulders um, because of that and uh, I think he's done generally well on the whole and there have been some points again going back to the Leicester game that, that, that awful goal he gave away the fourth goal um, I can see why people get frustrated with that kind of thing and, and the way that he's um, seen to be a little bit too calm under pressure at the back sometimes and it can can look a little bit sort of laissez-faire really. Um, regards Bravo, I, I don't think anyone's too pleased with the way he's been so far. Um, he was brought in uh, at the expense of Joe Hart. He was a hugely popular player here so he was always on a bit of a hide into nothing Bravo but he hasn't helped himself with his performances. Um, his shot stopping just hasn't been good enough really. He's, uh, I think he, he's, he's laying almost a third of the shots that he's faced this season so far. Um, and, and we've only kept three clean sheets in the league all season now. So, uh, But, you know, he's one of them. He's had a good career in the game. He's 33. He's won lots of stuff. So I, I don't think that he's a, a terrible goalkeeper on his stretch. I just think he's going through a bit of a bad patch of form at the moment. And I'm hopeful that uh, he can turn his season around in the second half. Do, do you think Pep knows his best back four? Because I was just looking at some of the stats. It's really incredible. There's been 27 
different personnel changes in the league when it comes to the goalkeeping and defensive positions. It seems to me Pep's not quite not quite sure about a lot of it. Yeah, it, it doesn't look like he has a clue about who's best back four is, unfortunately. Um, we have, as you say, we've chopped and changed an awful lot, and I don't think that's helped at all. It's not been There's not been any stability at the back. Um, the goalkeeper doesn't know who's going to be playing in front of him week in, week out, and the, and the players are the same. And he's sort of, I know he did it a lot by Munich, but he's experimented with different kind of formations, um, three at the back, four at the back, sometimes sort of five at the back. Um, so he hasn't really landed on a, on a, on a system yet, but... I think defensively our best best performances have come when we've played four at the back this season. Um, in the Watford game uh, last night, we played four at the back and looked a lot more rigid. Um, not completely, but but a lot better. So I hope that going forward, he, he sticks with that one for the time being and perhaps um, confines his experimentation to the training pitch. I mean, Pep was Pep was talking before the Watford game and he said that um, he'll be sacked if he doesn't turn things around at City. But I mean, from a distance, it looks like there's no doubt that, that City, that the those in charge of City are undoubtedly behind him. Are the fans as convinced by his genius, or are is there you know any rumours of discontent just yet? Um, I mean, I've been a little bit surprised with the kind of the, the reaction of the fans towards Guardiola, particularly since the Leicester game at the weekend. I think some people seem to have had a little bit of difficulty warming to him, and I'm not really sure why. And there's a sort of a, a perception rumbling um, on the underground that he, he's a little bit arrogant, but I don't think he's arrogant. I think he just has a bit of confidence in his own ability. Um, I think he, you know I'm confident in his ability, and I think he will turn it around at City. He had a fantastic start to the season; we looked amazing, and and the form has dropped off a little bit since then. But I think if he if he if that had been done the other way around, if he'd started off with um, a sort of iffy patch of form and then gone on and won ten games in on, in a row, then everyone would have said that you know that that was kind of understandable, and he, and he finally got into grips with his team. So I think he was a little bit of a victim of his own success at the start of the season. And uh, but I still have complete faith in him. I think he's a, a wonderful manager. I think we're so lucky to have him at the club. Um, and I'm just looking forward to what's what's coming over the next three years. I'm, I'm like a lot of fans. I'm, I'm sort of resigned to the fact that we perhaps won't win the league this season after all. And um, if it takes until next season to get us playing the way he wants us to, then so be it. I'm, I'm happy to wait. You're not worried by him paying uh, Pablo Zabaleta as a midfield pivot or De Bruyne as a wing back, no? <laughs> well, I mean, he, he's got he, he's done a lot of. Uh, uh, surprising things so far and um, it's kind of understandable really I don't think he's quite got the um, the squad of players that he perhaps want but equally he's not the sort of man who would complain about that I think he, he tries to make the best of the, the tools at his disposal and um, coach players in, into the, the sort of roles that he wants them to play rather than just expect them to be like that straight away um, so, so yeah, it's, it's been very interesting to see, and that, that's one of the biggest, the biggest sort of factors with Pep for me is, if nothing else, it's interested, and I'm, I'm just enjoying watching this team and, and learning a lot from watching this team. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, there is of course a huge game this week against Arsenal. Uh, how, do you, how do you expect Pep to approach it? Um, I, I, I would hope that he plays four at the back, um, and I would hope. That that we go out and attack Arsenal because I think they're quite vulnerable as they showed at Everton. Um, they're another a team who, whose form seems to be up and down. One week they look like the champions elect, the next week they look like they're going to struggle. So um, I hope that we can sort of capitalise on, on their bad result the other night and, and go at them straight from the off. But then keep keep the back door shut as well because they've got some incredibly talented players in, in Meza Ozil and Alexis Sanchez and people like that who, who can really cause us problems. And you do worry about how our defence will cope with them. So... That that was one of the big things at the start of the season with City. They looked so good going forward, but they looked so strong at the back as well. So I just hope that we can get that balance right again, and um, it would be a great place to start against Arsenal because uh, it's um, it's a really big match. And a quick prediction before we let you go, Dan. Uh, I'll go. Uh, I'll be optimistic. I'll say three one City. That was Dan Burke from Typical City. Um, it just remind me that I forgot to do my fantasy football team this week, which is very annoying. Yeah, because I'm closing in on you. You are closing in on me. I'm getting a bit worried. <laughs> what I have remembered to do, though, is to pick my team of the year um, and my manager of the year. And I'm guessing you two gentlemen have as well. Indeed, I have. Who'd like to go first? Nick, over to you. Oh dear. All right, well, this is interesting. What, form- what formation have you gone for? Uh, I've gone for a 4-2-3-1. Uh, Very popular. Yeah, mm. nice. Well, it kind of decided itself by the players I'd chosen. Okay. Rather than uh, logic. Um, Gigi Buffon, 38, still one of the best goalkeepers, and I'm not sure how often I can still choose him. So I figured that's a good, a good call for goalkeeper. I can't have any arguments with that one. Got Marcelo at left back. 
I was having a tough time with with wing backs actually, and he's he's my left back. Okay. Oh, he does sound he does sound happy. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I've never been a massive fan of Marcelo. Neither am I. But I, but I was sitting there yesterday, I was thinking, who the hell can I put at left back? Considering I've got three centre backs for the rest of defence. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You could have gone for Rafael Guerrero. True, I could have done that. He's had a good season. Has indeed. Yeah. Thanks for that. We should okay. have spoken yesterday. Jerome <laughs> uh, Boateng. He was pretty good up until he got injured. So he had a really good season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to choose one from Juventus just because their back line is still amazing. But so I've gone for Giorgio Chiellini. Okay. And Sergio Ramos, just because he's a good leader and can score goals in important minutes. Now, this is another one of the pointless conversations we were having in work this morning. <laughs> um, Sergio Ramos, is he good or is he just good at getting headlines? Probably just good at getting headlines. I, I, think, th- I think he's a decent defender. And I think it's can... very easy to defend in Real, if you're a Real Madrid player because you've got very little to do. He often makes big impacts because he gets these late goals a la Champions League final. Uh, or, uh, yeah, no, he does it in the Champions League final or against Barcelona recently. I, I, just... I'm ne- I mean, he's got he's got 21 red cards last time I checked. That, to me, would suggest somebody... And I think half of them have come against either Barca or Atleti in the league. And that would suggest to me that a player who's not, you know, under under the pressure against big rivals, not quite with it. Fair enough. I mean, I've, well, put it this way. When I, when I thought about it yesterday, I thought he's a, a decent leader. I mean, if you're, you're right, if, he, if he's got 21 red cards, it's not a particularly good leader. I, did, I forgot the red cards when I was talking okay. um, <laughs> But it's the scoring, which, is, which I found important. Yeah. Um, right. N'Golo Kante? Yes. Because I think uh, without him, Leicester would not have won the league last season. Yeah. Sergio Busquets. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's interesting because I thought he'd be a little bit out of form. But that's, I mean, his form is so much better than most that even when he's a little bit out of form, he's still better than most, that's I true. would say. Yeah. I mean, put it this way. When I, was, when I was putting this team together, I was thinking more of like the players which I'd like to have in my own team. Ah, okay. And All right. So that's why it's yeah, my yeah. team of the season, you see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Riyad Mahrez. Yeah. Um, Antoine Griezmann. Are you playing him in midfield? Interesting. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Because I've got Bale next to him. Mm-hmm. And I've got Robert Lewandowski as a goal scorer. Up front. All right. I've, I've ignored our, our Messi's and Ronaldo's. That's, that's very interesting. No Messi, no Ronaldo. Nope. Tried to avoid them. Right, now here, here are my coaches. There's two of them. And there's a reason behind it. Wait, you've got... Okay, go on. This, they, this wasn't quite in the, the brief you were given. But I know, we'll well, let, because we'll they, they work together. That's okay. why it's coaches. Lars Lagerbeck and Jaime Helgrims and the Iceland coaches. They, oh. they were my coaches of the season because of what they did for, for Iceland at the Euros. Oh, you pull that out of left field. That's fantastic. That's a good choice. I'll give you that one. That's If we were a podcast that inserted random clapping from people, <laughs> we, we might do that in the, in the, in the post-production process. Uh, we, we might stick it in right there. Okay, Fab. All right, so my formation you, first. I've you've gone. already got you've got a smile on your face. I'm worried about this. <laughs> it's going to be a little controversial. Okay. But um, is it just a Man United starting? Him no, right? no. But okay. uh, the formation I've gone with is a four-two-four, which is Whew. which is the best formation you can use on FIFA. Um, all the FIFA <laughs> players out there, four-two-four <laughs> is amazing. Um, and this is basically just to compensate for all the attacking talent. Okay. Um, Goalkeeper, I agree. Buffon has to be in there. Absolute legend. I'm, I'm worried about mine. Absolute legend. <laughs> I'm worried legend. about my team now. Right? Um, center backs, yeah. I've got um, Boateng, because I believe that he is the best in the world, and Pepe for winning you know, the Champions League and that uh, trophy during the summer. Um, I'm going to leave the fullbacks for now. I'll come back to them. Wait, hold on. No, you gotta, you got to do your whole defense. Uh, go- Wait, I, no. Go on. We'll let you go ahead. We'll let you go ahead. Right. Okay. Midfielders, Kante and Modric. Nice. Right, you've yeah. got the defensive balance with Kante and you've got the creativity. Yeah. Then uh, wingers, you've got um, Messi and Ronaldo, obviously. You're playing them wide on a 4-2-4? Four, four, four? It's a 4-2-4 four, four and they're yeah, playing yeah, yeah. wide up okay. front. Yeah. And then in the middle, you've got Bale Oof. and Ibrahimovic. Oh, Wow. Well, he does have, was it nine goals in his last nine games or something? Eight goals in the last eight, 14 already this season, and was part of the squad that won the league by 35 points in France. Uh, yeah, I, I 
can't really argue. I don't know. I don't know how good they would be defensively. Well, we haven't finished with the football. We haven't. Yet. Asked, that's right. True, See, yeah. this is where this is where I need a little bit of leeway because okay. I couldn't pick any current <laughs> <laughs> fullbacks. Dimit- so I went Dimitri with Payet is not a fullback. No, I went with Patrice Evra and Gary Neville. Wait, hold on. What? Gary Neville doesn't play anymore. No, I know, but you know, like, okay, if I had to pick a current uh, backs, I guess I would go with Guerrero. Yep. I mean, Patrice Evra is still playing. You can keep him. Yeah, but. I would have gone with like 2008, 2009, Patrice Evra. Okay. But um, for we're, the sake... We're talking more 2015, right, 2015 okay. 2016. No, okay. Know? So then I'll go with Guerrero okay. and um, see, right back's the hardest because I don't yeah. know. Maybe... Nathaniel Klein? <sighs> yeah, he was good. Walker. I'd go with Walker. Oh, Walker's good. Yeah, yeah I'd I go like with Walker. Walker. He had a very good uh, season for Tottenham. Mm-hmm. And was, I believe, one of England's best players at the Euros. Yeah. So, Walker it is. Okay. That wasn't particularly hard, really, was it? That's true, but <laughs> I, I don't think he was average as well. I thought he was actually good. Mm-hmm. It was just the rest of the team was bad. Right. Um, did you name a manager? No, you didn't. No. So, um, I'd go with uh, Louis van Gaal. <laughs> <laughs> You're trolling me now. No, I'm not. Because I believe that what he did was was very important at United. He won their first trophy after Sir Alex Ferguson. That kind of got rid of the jitters, I guess. Um, so just for that impact on on the club alone, I would pick him. If I had to pick based on a manager's team performance, I go with Zidane, just because of the records he's broken at Madrid. Um, so it would be a toss-up between those two. I think that's decent, yeah. Zidane's not a bad choice. Would you like to hear mine? Yeah. Well, I haven't gone for Gigi Buffon in goal. And it, it broke my heart a little bit to not choose Gigi. Because <laughs> I love Gigi. And I think... Uh, yeah, okay. Well, I, it broke my heart. I've gone for Jan Oblak, who is the Atletico goalkeeper. Um let in just 18 goals all last season, 29 clean sheets, saved that penalty in the semi-final of the Champions League. Uh, brilliant reflexes, brilliant shot stopper. I, I, he's only 23. I think he's really going to be a, a, a real monster in goal. Now, my, I've gone for a four. I've gone for a three-four-three, in uh, you know, in front of him. My back three are Benucci, Boateng, and Pep. Um. Normally, I wouldn't choose Pep, but I just think that he was brilliant for Madrid in the Champions League. He won the man of the match, I think, in the Euros final. And he hasn't managed to get sent off for something ridiculous, like scraping his toes up somebody's back. And I think that's <laughs> got to be rewarded in, in in some way. So nothing too controversial there. Midfield. Three of my players have been named by you guys before, but one of them hasn't. So I've got Mares, Modric, Kante and Dimitri Payet. Okay. I think he did well enough for France. Had a pretty decent season for West Ham. I mean, he was the inspiration behind a lot of France's couple of games in in the uh, yeah in the European Championships. I thought. I mean, he scored he scored a couple goals. So yeah, I guess yeah yeah. Uh, Modric and Kante, I think, as you said before, would dovetail perfectly. You know, Kante puts in all the hard work Modric created, and Mares was just absolutely sensational for less of this of last season and carried has carried quite a bit of it into this season if not perfectly up front um, Messi Lewandowski and Griezmann and I defy you to find a better front three than that I think they're absolute that would be sensational you could put Bale in there (laughs) for one of the three I maybe Griezmann but I think Griezmann has possibly had a slightly better season than Bale yeah is okay. our buddy better year than Bale? And I'm a big fan of having Lewandowski up front because I really think he's a true goal scorer. Well, he, I don't think he is. He, he is a true goal scorer. Yeah. Uh, he's proved that himself. And oh, yeah. And he's added those free kick free yeah. kicks to his game, which is that was uh, amazing. An, another addition to his brilliance. Uh, before we sign off, there's a couple of transfer rumors because we're getting towards January that we'd like to address. Oscar often. <laughs> I can't even say it with a straight face. Oscar is off to China to play under Andre Villas Boas at Shanghai SIPG. 60 million for Oscar. 60 million. I mean, if they've got the money, I think Chelsea will be laughing all the way to the bank. 
they should have invested in those Louis Vuitton skateboards. That'd be better. <laughs> or the dancing fountains. <laughs> they probably already have those. They probably already have those. Okay. The other one, Nick, which I wanted to chat to you about, was something I read in the Times the other day. Eric Dyer to Bayern Munich. Or at least Bayern Munich are interested in Eric Dyer. It's not surprising. I mean, Ancelotti works in the in the UK and his number two is Paul Clement. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they, they know each other. Yeah. Um, I think that Dyer could possibly be a good player for Bayern. They need a younger player as a defensive midfielder, which is what he's proved to be very, very good at since, since going to the, moving to Tottenham. Because, um, I mean, Xabi Alonso seems a bit out of place at Bayern at the moment. So he need, they need a replacement for him. A bit long in the tooth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as soon as as soon as the game gets, has any sort of speed in it, he's out. He, he just can't keep up any longer. He's still, I mean, he's still a great player, but he's not 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 a player for the future. So if they want to invest in Dyer, then why not? I think that's definitely something which could help a player who can help build that team up even more. Any other transfer rumors anybody would like to address? I saw Tevez to China as well. Um, oh, that's true. Yeah, I saw that Boko would get uh, ten million, and then Tevez what? would get twenty five million a year. You are joking. <laughs> No, what? which is crazy to me. 25 million a year. Which is after taxes, which is crazy to me because then he's earning two and a half times what they paid the club for him, which is insane. 25 million a year? Yeah. That's incredible. He must be about 50. Hey, uh, you know, it's not like he went anywhere for a paycheck in, in his career. So hey. this might be his, you know, his last <laughs> paycheck. Right. You know, he has his own band. Yeah. Mm, Kumba. What does he play? Drums? I think he plays a bit of percussion. Okay. And that was one of the reasons why he was so desperate to get back to Argentina. To be part of his band. Because well, was, he, was he missing gigs? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but he, he's very, yeah, he's very, he's very much Argentinian. He doesn't like to be outside the country, I've heard. Anyway, that's all from us today. My thanks to Fab, Nick, Dan, our producer, Damien. If you have anything to say about this week or would like to get in touch, you can hit us up on uh, Facebook at OneFootball. And hey, don't forget to pop over to iTunes and leave that rating and comment for us. Thanks for listening.